Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen here with Life Coach Cindy Chavez. Today is Wednesday, May the 8th, 2019. It's 4 p.m. in New York. It's 1 p.m. in Los Angeles, 9 p.m. in London, and in Sydney, Australia, it is 6 a.m. But wherever you are in the world, thanks for joining us for another episode of LOA Today, your daily dose of happy. And I'm happy to report that it looks like our live streaming is working once again. I want to do a verification while I'm talking to you, Cindy, but uh, this is like three days in a row, so I, I think I'm ironing this thing yes. out for there. Yeah. yeah, which is a whole lot better than I, I, for a bit there. I was a little bit afraid, like, oh no, am I getting back into the territory I was in a year ago? Remember everything? Right. Like, oh, technical issue, technical issue, and I had to take that yes. oh. whole mindset <laughs> around. In fact, I was doing that today because I realized I was dealing with problems, problems, problems. I said, no, 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 we want solutions. We don't want problems. We want solutions. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, that was quite a time. But uh, no, things are improving. We are uh, we're now to the point where we, we have one live stream going to YouTube, and I am actually working in the background uh, between shows trying to get a second live stream going because I know people who are on Facebook like to have the live stream going there. So I'm I'm seeing you know can we have it going to two places at once? And it turns out it's like a three computer solution in order to do it. <laughs> I'm that close. I'm that close. So yeah. If you're, Eventually, well, you're gonna have a big control room with screens. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's gonna be like something out of you know one of the big movies where they've got a right. you know screen, 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 screen. That's what I'm picturing. <laughs> Twenty-five <laughs> cameras. Camera three. Angle over to the left. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah awesome. that's good. But the, of course, the thing I I've overlooked in my little uh, introduction here is today is Neville Day. Yes. Happy Neville Day. Happy Neville Day to you. Yes. And we, we're almost at the end of the book we've been working on, which is his we first are. book. Yeah. And we've and been working it. on it for a while because yeah. it's been one of the longer books that he wrote. Exactly. Yeah. We did these all in this weird hodgepodge, topsy-turvy order with no reason or rhyme to it. We just decided to start teaching Neville, learning about Neville, and we dove in, and this is our fifth book, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've we've done a lot of setting, and uh, we are almost to the end of this one. I think it's been sh- really good. I'm, I'm not sure if I feel like a Neville expert yet, but I feel like uh, a Neville <laughs> better than I was before. Not quite yeah. expert, but, you know, I, like I, I understand more now. Right. I always say this, is that, you know, I just like to entertain the idea that None of us are exemplars. We are all aspirants, right? Yes. We're all we're all working on getting there. We're it's we're, there's always something new to learn. Um, we never are going to know it all. Yeah, you got that. No kidding. It all, we're never gonna. What does Abraham say? We're never gonna get it all done. We're never gonna right. get it done. Right. You can't get it wrong, and you'll never get it done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get it wrong, and you'll never get it done. So, but just keep going. That's the thing: is to keep going. Exactly. Keep learning. And I think it's interesting too that um, you know, as much as I love Neville, and I do love Neville, that's why I've wanted to keep reading and keep you know doing another book and learning more. Um, Personally, I do not look at Neville as that every you know word of Neville is written in stone and is the be all end all. I, because Neville was human, like we all are, and mm. these were his ideas and his perspectives and his perceptions, and I'm totally fine with looking at it that way. Like it's, it had a lot of value for me, but I, I, I don't think I'm a cynic. I'm an optimist, but I'm also a skeptic. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, so I, I like to tear things apart and really look them over and look at them from different perspectives and see what I think about it. Um, but I don't have to buy into every word that anybody really says, or at least that's my, I don't do it with Abraham. I don't do it with Neville. Um, if it, if it feels right and it resonates with me, then I play with it for a while. I like to entertain lots of possibilities. So I'm with you totally. I, I mean, I, if I find good information and it resonates with me, then I say, okay, I'll use that good information. doesn't mean that I want to, uh, follow, the person who told me that around like they're the savior or something like that. It's right. just, I like the information and I appreciate the good information. I think it's a really healthy, um, you know, rule for all of us to recognize that, you know, 
it's so easy sometimes for people to find a teacher that they really love, really resonate with, Mm-hmm. And then kind of put that teacher and their teachings up on a pedestal where like they can yeah. say no wrong and, you know, but so-and-so says this, you know, and it's like, oh, it, that always ends badly. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> it really always ends badly. I've learned. I've learned the hard way. So, you know, I don't know why I'm saying all this, but I just felt like it was, I was thinking about it today, how I really, I feel healthier that I can take that perspective. I feel better okay. that I can. I can research anything I want and then just decide, you know, if I want to entertain those possibilities or not. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. And, and I think you actually do better when you're doing it, when you, when you're doing it that way, because when you're getting it from multiple perspectives with multiple different ways of understanding it, all that can do is improve your understanding unless you just allow yourself to trip up all over the place. But I mean, if you're exploring and that's the kind of person you are, you know, you're an explorer. You, you're you're right. the inquiring mind. I have the same kind of thing. When you have that, boy, just having all those perspectives gives you wonderful um, range that that you can't get from just following one person or one guru or or one external uh, or not external um, one inner being spirit or, or whatever you might want to be connecting into. It doesn't matter. Yeah, the fact that you're getting multiple perspectives. One of the things that I, you know, recognize is that. Our level of consciousness is directly related to our lack of judging, right? Like the more judgy we get about something, the less we're able to consciously create at will. Because in order to do that, we really have to let go of a lot of judgment. And what happens when we're making this teacher right and that teacher wrong and every, and you, we're just, we're just miring ourselves in a lot of judgment all of a sudden. And so it, it's actually beneficial to the whole law of attraction process if we can just, you know, like I, I know you've heard me say this before, and I got it from uh, astrologer Carolyn W. Casey because I love it so much. She said, you know, we don't need to believe anything. We can just entertain possibilities. <laughs> it's so much It's so much freer for me to say I can entertain that possibility. Mm-hmm. You believe this or that, you know, that's when we get stuck. Yes. Well, plus, I mean, you look at it from the way, say, Abraham explains things with the, the two-ended stick. If, if we're focused on, well, that particular guru is wrong or that particular person's approach is wrong, we're on the wrong end of the stick. <laughs> we're, on the, yeah. we're on the lack end here. We're on the, the, the end of the stick that's going to deliver all the stuff we don't want. <laughs> well, and that's a hermetic principle, you know, that everything contains its opposite to some degree. Mm-hmm. And so... There's always those two sides to the coin, and it does us a lot of good to like focus on the on the side that's the side we want. <laughs> we talk about that a lot. Pivoting. Absolutely. But anyway, we are probably going to wind up this Neville book today. That's just unbelievable. <laughs> this is this is definitely one of the biggest books that Neville did, and you're right. <laughs> we've worked through almost all the chapters. We're almost there, but yeah, yeah. And so we've been we've been talking about, and this book, it's um. It gives itself away with its title. Uh, if you follow Neville and you know Neville, he uses a lot of, he considered himself a Christian mystic. Yes. And he uses a lot of Christian scripture from the Christian Bible. Mm-hmm. And he always has ideas about what those things mean that are very much unlike what we hear in mainstream Christianity or, you know, that kind of thing. But right. But this one, I think he he is focused there more than a lot of his other books. And it's obvious because the title is Your Faith is Your Fortune. And that's very appealing to a person that would call themselves a person of faith, right? Um, and that would be a, a kind of Christian term, although there are many other faiths. But this is where he goes with this book is his idea of what these verses mean. And it's it's way out there, <laughs> but it's really good at the same time. So, um, so we're starting in chapter 26 today, um, at, where he's talking about this chapter is about the garden of Gethsemane. So that's the story in the Bible, in the Christian Bible, where Jesus, um, was really stressed out and no kidding. <laughs> he was bleeding he was sweating drops of blood you know about over what was going to happen mm. and of course neville is likening this to something completely different he's likening into us being pressed out and our 
consciousness creating something from that. So he says here, and we're in the middle of the chapter, but I really love this idea. We have to remember this because this is key to conscious creating or any kind of law of attraction practice. He says, man cannot possess a thing and still desire to possess it at one and the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And right. It's like, if, if I say I want something, I'm wanting it because I don't have it. Mm -hmm. So that, and that's tricky when you don't have the thing and you're trying to attract it or create it. Right. So he says, as one consciously appropriates the feeling of being the thing desired, this desire to be the thing passes. It is realized. Or, he, or in, in other words, he's saying the thing will come to pass. Um, another thing I like to kind of point out, he says this a lot, being the thing desired. And mm-hmm. I like to kind of paraphrase that to say being the person that has the thing desired. Yes. Right? I mean, if I want to have a best-selling book, then I want to be a best-selling author. Or I want to be the person that has a best-selling book or whatever it is that I'm wanting. And mm-hmm. so he's talking about that here. He's talking about consciously appropriating the feeling of being the person that has that thing. And he says that when we can do that, then the desire to be that owner of that thing or to be that thing will be realized. Right. Okay. The receptive attitude of mind, feeling and receiving the impression of being the thing desired is the fertile ground or womb, which receives the seed. And the seed, he says, is the defined objective. We use this analogy a lot. Now, he's using uh, an analogy of two humans procreating. The seed, which is pressed out of a man, grows into the likeness of the man from whom it was pressed. Mm-hmm. He's talking about human conception. Um, but we use the analogy of seeds a lot, right? Oh, yeah. We plant seeds of intention, and then we water them with faith and with, you know, consciousness and assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled. And then eventually we start to see buds, blossoms, fruit. Mm -hmm. He says, likewise, the mystical seed, your conscious claim that you are that which you heretofore desired to be will grow into the likeness of you from whom and into whom it is pressed. Yes. Gethsemane is the cultivated garden of romance where the disciplined man goes to press seeds of joy, which he says are defined desires, out of himself into his receptive attitude of mind, there to care for and nurture them by consciously walking in the joy of being all that formerly he desired to be. So Neville gets a little wordy here. (laughs) Well, he also has some interesting concepts going on here. Right. I mean, among other things, he's talking about um, the... If you think of it as like a a step-by-step process, you can kind of say the first step is to be in that state of joy. That's where, in his metaphor, you press the seeds. That's where you're defining your desires. And that's a – well, first of all, it's a great point because so often so many people um, desire something not from a place of joy. Yeah. Desire from a place of maybe being depressed or from being angry or mm-hmm. frustrated or, or maybe just hopeful or something like that, but never or scared or worried, right? Yes. It's like, Oh, I really yeah. need this money to come in. I'm so worried. I'm not going to be able to pay for, you know, whatever. I mean, not, fear. Not realizing that that's working against them. And, yeah. And yeah. That, that's a, a common theme to Neville. It's a common theme to Abraham. It's a common theme to all the major teachers, but I love the fact that, that he starts with the idea that, it has to be a state of joy. I mean, he, he doesn't say it has to be a state of joy, but that's what he's really um, driving at with that, that initial statement there. I noticed that, you know, life has ups and downs. We all have cycles and ebb and a flow. And so, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm some master manifester and like every day of my life, I'm manifesting something wonderful and I never have a downtime or a doubt or a worry. That's just not true because I'm human and we all go through, you know, cycles. Uh, But I can say that one of the things I've noticed, and I just noticed it recently that is common to the, the times in my life when things have really been great and, and I seemingly can just like speak something and it happens um, is that, when I 
during those times when I have a desire for something, as soon as I recognize I have the desire, I get really excited because I know it's on the way. Oh, that's good. Instead of worrying about it or wondering Mm -hmm. about it. Now, I don't always do that, but during those times when that seems to be kind of the norm or the the immediate response is like, yes, yes, awesome. So this is a great new idea, and I'm so excited because I can't wait for it. It's going to be here any day. Um, That's when things happen faster. Absolutely. Yeah, because there's no resistance going on there. That's that's great. Well, I want to get there to where that's just the always the normal response, but it's... Well, I mean, we we should also point out, I mean, you you mentioned that you're really not a master manifester, but really you are. I mean, we all are. I mean, just look, everything around us, we manifest it. It's just what we're talking about is being a (laughs) creator, and that's the hard one. That's the one where we're all focused exactly what we want, yeah. Mastering... (laughs) So we're actually already got that part down. (laughs) You're right. We're all masters. Look at what we've made. Some of us look around and go, oh, did I make that? (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, you're right. It's the mastering the conscious creation is what we're... Yes. What we're looking for. Exactly. So Neville says, feel with the great gardener. And he, he has capitalized great mm-hmm. gardener. Which, uh, which is a hint. Well, it's a hint. And what's so funny is that we're, t- we're, we're using all these religious verses. Mm-hmm. That you would think, oh, he's talking about God. Like, right? Like, I mean, that's what I would think going into this reading. And he's using all these um verses from the Christian Bible, and then he capitalizes the great gardener. It's like, well, that must be God. Well, right? he is in a sense, but he also has a very metaphorical meaning for God. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right, and that's the thing is that I know that Neville says, well, God is your consciousness. There it is, yeah. He's giving our consciousness a beautiful little name here, the great gardener. Mm-hmm. Feel with the great gardener, the secret thrill of knowing that things and qualities not now seen will be seen as soon as these conscious impressions grow and ripen to maturity. I like that he said this because there is a time gap. That's why I'm, I'm always using the garden metaphor because, mm-hmm. because I garden, my husband gardens, we plant actual seeds and then we walk by that little patch of dirt forever. And it's just dirt, 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 dirt. And then one day there it is. there's a sprout, right? So there's a time, there's a, it takes time. Mm-hmm. And we can't always manifest something instantly. Sometimes we do. Um, yeah. Other times we're waiting, like he says here, um, we're waiting for the conscious impressions to grow and ripen to maturity. He says, your consciousness is Lord and husband. The conscious state in which you dwell is wife or beloved. This state made visible is your son bearing witness of you, his father and mother. For your visible world is made in the image and likeness of the state of consciousness in which you live. Your world and the fullness thereof are nothing more or less than your defined consciousness objectified. So we've talked about this a lot, right? It's like people say, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know what I'm thinking lately. Well, look around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there it is, yeah. And also, it's been, it's been a big theme of the book, too. I mean, this is the thing he constantly has gone back to every single chapter. This, this has been it. Yeah. Exactly. So he says, knowing this to be true, see to it that you choose well the mother of your children, that conscious state in which you live, your conception of yourself. So he's going back to what he just said, mm-hmm. that the, the mother of, of these things that you want to see manifest, of the fruit you want to bear. The, what's the mother? It's the conscious state which you're dwelling in. And if we go back a little further, we're going to see that he thinks that's very important that that state is one of joy. Yes. He says the wise man chooses his wife with great discretion. He realizes that his children must inherit the qualities of their parents. And so he devotes much time and care to the selection of their mother. Um, So remember this was written in 1941. Mm -hmm. And we could say today that the wise woman chooses her husband with great discretion. I would hope so. She realizes that her children are going to inherit the qualities of their parents. This is true. <laughs> and, Absolutely. Yeah. He, he says the mystic knows that the conscious state in which he lives is the choice that he has made of 
a wife, the mother of his children, that this state must in time embody itself within his world. So he's ever select in his choice and always claims himself to be his highest ideal. He consciously defines himself as that which he desires to be. When man realizes that the conscious state in which he lives is the choice that he has made of a mate, he will be more careful of his moods and feelings. So in other words, um, when we recognize that our conscious state, that we're married to that conscious state, that we're going to be living with that conscious state, and that that conscious state that we're in is going to be what produces everything we experience, it will be more careful of our moods and our feelings. Well, I get the feeling he was very careful about making that particular analogy. I think it was it was a deliberately careful choice. And I got that sense just from when you said that, because if we approach the idea of what we are consciously focusing on in the same way that we would approach a marriage, right. well, that means we're really, now, now we're committing to, okay, I'm always going to be focusing where I want. I'm always going to be staying in that state of joy. I'm always, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always. And, you know, it's quite a commitment. But yeah. I understand why he's saying that because it's a way of reminding us, yes, you got to be committed to it. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to do it for five minutes and I'm done for the day. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is that, you know, our level of commitment is going to show us in the manifestations that we see, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're either interested in something or we're committed to it. He says he will not permit himself to react to suggestions of fear, lack, or any undesirable impression. Such suggestions of lack could never pass the watch of the disciplined mind of the mystic, for he knows that every conscious claim must in time be expressed as a condition of his world, of his environment. So it's all going to manifest at some point. So we need to be careful. <laughs> well, this and is also careful, this is, careful. This is the Abraham concept too. This is the, the jointed stick. This is the lack end of the stick, and you want to stay away from that. Has he mentioned the word lack before in the books that we've read? I can't remember if he had. I think so. Has he? Okay. Yes. But the point is that that he he is certainly focusing on the exact same concept, which is Mm -hmm. that if you're focusing on something with the feeling that you don't have it, you are guaranteeing that you won't have it. Right. So so you want to stay away from that side. You want to be... Looking at the other side, that's why uh, such suggestions of lack would never pass the watch of the disciplined mind of the mystic. Yeah. Exactly. So he remains faithful to his beloved, his defined objective, by defining and claiming and feeling himself to be that which he desires to express. Let a man ask himself if his defined objective would be a thing of joy and beauty if it were realized. If his, if his answer is in the affirmative, he may know that his choice of a bride is a princess of Israel, a daughter of Judah, for every defined objective which expresses joy when realized is a daughter of Judah, the king of praise. So he's really getting out there now. Now he's pulling in some of the, um, the Jewish Bible texts too. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's saying, you know, that if you know that that thing you're saying you desire if you feel that if it came to pass, it would be a joyful thing, then you know that you're on the right track here. Right. He says, it says, Jesus took with him into his hour of prayer, his disciples, or disciplined attributes of mind, and commanded them to watch while he prayed, so that no thought or belief that would deny the realization of his desire might enter his consciousness. So if you remember a few chapters back, Neville goes through and he, and he talks about all of Jesus' disciples and he talks about each one and what quality they were likened to, quality right. of mind that we mm. might have. Yep. And he's, he's saying here that he took those qualities of mind with him as he prayed so that no thought or belief that would deny the realization of his desire would enter his consciousness. So he was... This is an idea of being very conscious and aware. Mm -hmm. As a coach, I've told clients before, I don't care what decision they make about one thing or another, but I want them to make it from a place of being conscious, Mm. right? 
And that's, that's what he's saying here is that if we will be aware and we will commit to those qualities of mind, um, then those thoughts or beliefs that would deny our, the realization of our desire won't enter our consciousness. And that's what we're doing here. We're safeguarding consciousness because everything springs from that. Exactly. In fact, Jeffrey, um, uh, one of our live stream listeners, just shared a comment to the exact same effect. We basically underlining what we've already said. He says the most important relationship in our lives is our relationship with our own consciousness. Yes, absolutely. And that's exactly what Neville is trying to say here. <laughs> I say trying because he can kind of get tangled up a little bit, but I think we're doing well. Um, he says, follow the example of Jesus who with his desires clearly defined entered the garden of Gethsemane, the state of joy accompanied by his disciples, his disciplined mind to lose himself in a wild joy of realization. So I'm going to read that back with just his, his definitions. Okay. Follow the example of Jesus who had his desires clearly defined. He entered into the state of joy with his disciplined mind to lose himself in a wild joy of realization. So we want to know what we want, have our desires clearly defined. You know, I used this example with a client the other day um, because they were saying, oh, I don't really know what I want. And I said, well, that's why we're going to focus there because we can't have what we want if we don't know what it is. Right. And if we're wishy-washy, like, well, one day I want this and the next day I want that. You know, I like to use the simple analogy of going into a restaurant to order. If the waitress comes to you or the server comes to you and says, what can I get you today? And you say, I don't know what I want. Well, they're going to wait for you to figure it out. And then if you say, well, you know, the sandwich looks really good and the fish looks great and this vegetarian option looks really good too and the soup sounds wonderful, they're still going to wait until you can tell them what you want. <laughs> But as soon as you get clear about what you want, then you have much better chance of it coming to you, right? So, well, yeah, that's a good analogy because if you don't place the order with the waitress, forget it, it ain't coming. <laughs> so, so he's saying here, you know, that Jesus, when he went into this state of joy, and remember that Neville is also saying that Jesus is, is our consciousness, right. our imagination. So if we take our imagination and have our desires clearly defined as we enter into a state of joy and make sure that we also have a disciplined mind. That's when we're going to have the wild joy of realization. So it's a process here. Mm -hmm. It's kind of got steps to it. You know, it <laughs> Check does. A checklist. I always yeah. say right before the show, I always say we need a checklist. Of all <laughs> That's true. You did you, just before the show, you said that. Yeah. The checklist. So he says the fixing of his attention on his objective was his commands to his disciplined mind to watch and remain faithful to that fixation, contemplating the joy that would be his on realizing his desire. He began the spiritual act of generation, the act of pressing out the mystical seed, his defined desire in this fixation. He remained claiming and feeling himself to be that which he, before he entered Gethsemane desired to be until his whole being consciousness was bathed in an oily sweat joy resembling blood life in short until his whole consciousness was permeated with the living sustained joy of being his defined objective of being it being a, his defined objective there's a, there's a word I want to bring to our attention here uh, this is this is a law of attraction thing going on here because this is a word I've been thinking about earlier this week. Um, I'm sure you're aware there there are many people who kind of debate the idea. Well, um, should you be focusing on your wants or should you be focusing on your desires? Because you don't want to focus on the lack end of the stick. And some people say, well, the desires are actually a much better way of saying it than wants because wants is all about lack and so forth. And right. so I was kind of thinking about that whole discussion and realizing that really both of those words express lack or both of those words can express having it. can work either way. But the big difference for me is desire is want with passion. So desire is, is where you have the passion built up in the wanting. And it, if you're on the lack, end, 
you know, you're, you're kind of in a, in a rough spot there because now you just build up a passion for lack, which is not so good. So I said Ooh. to myself, okay, <laughs> what other words are there that are maybe closer on, on a more regular, consistent basis to having rather than to lack? And I realized that they're all relative, all the words that are available, but there are some words that I think are a little bit closer. One word that came to my mind was to choose. To me, choosing more often than not is emphasizing the thing that we're wanting to have rather than lacking the thing that we have. Right. Because you can't lack when you're choosing. You certainly can be focusing on lack when you choose. But it's a little bit closer, I think. And then he used the word that I thought was even closer than that, and that's claiming. claiming. I claim that. If I claim that, yeah. there's still perhaps a little bit of a lack to it, but there's also a great deal of that's mine. That's but if you're choosing something, you know, that choosing and claiming both to me have the energy of you're there and you're getting the thing. You're, exactly. you're saying, this is it. I choose this. Yes. I choose, I choose this. Yeah. yeah. So now, ultimately, right. all words are just words, you know, They're so that's why, that's why they can be either way. They can be used toward the lack end or they can be used toward the have end. No matter who you are, right. it's just depending on how you're using them. Um, but I, I think, I think it's useful to actually have words that, we can remind ourselves, oh, yeah, I want to use this word, not because the word has the power, because it reminds me to focus on the right end of the stick for me. Yes, and our words are really powerful. And most of the time it's because our words are generated by our thoughts. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a thought enough times, eventually it's going to start coming out of your mouth, right? So that's a that's a really good point. I like that. Uh, I like the the idea of choosing something as well. Yeah, when I saw claiming, I said, "Oh my God, yep, there's LOA right there." Just, just yeah. delivering another example of the thing I was thinking about just yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> happens a lot with our show, doesn't it? It's amazing. Um, <laughs> so Neville says, as this fixation is accomplished, so that the mystic knows by his feeling of joy that he has passed from his former conscious state into his present consciousness, the Passover or crucifixion is attained. Hmm. This crucifixion or fixation of the new conscious claim is followed by the Sabbath, a time of rest. There's always an interval of time between the impression and its expression. That's important to remember. We were talking about that a minute ago. I was just going to say, it sounds like you just said it, except he's saying it in his more metaphorical terminology, but it's the same concept. Yeah. Between the conscious claim, (laughs) there's your word, between the conscious claim and its embodiment. Mm -hmm. Now, he says this interval is called the Sabbath, the period of rest or non-effort, the day of entombment. So really, really interesting here that, you know, when we choose something and we're able to step into that place of consciousness where we are feeling the joy of already having it, um, we'll stop the efforting mm-hmm. and striving because the thing is a done deal. Yes. That's what he's talking about here is recognizing that and letting go of all that striving for the thing because we don't have to strive for it. We, it's, it's, it's done. He says to walk unmoved in the consciousness of being or possessing a certain state is to keep the Sabbath. <laughs> all of his <laughs> all of his metaphors crack me up. Wow. Uh, the story of the crucifixion beautifully expresses this mystical stillness or rest. We are told that after Jesus cried out, it is finished, he was placed in a tomb, and there he remained for the entire Sabbath. Um, uh, it's... It's cracking me up because I'm thinking, well, I don't know if all the people in history that have been crucified would agree with Neville that it was <laughs> this beautiful expression of stillness or rest. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, maybe the, not during it anyway. Afterward, yeah, no, not during, maybe after. <laughs> when the new state or consciousness is appropriated, so you feel by this appropriation fixed and secure in the knowledge that it is finished, then you too will cry out, it is finished and will enter the tomb or Sabbath, an interval of time in which you will walk unmoved in the conviction that your new consciousness must be resurrected or made visible. So this is when you know it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. You know it. And, you know, I love to use that example that we used earlier about ordering something in a restaurant because 
we have no problem with that kind of faith, right? If I tell the waitress that I want whatever, the club sandwich, <laughs> and she goes off to get it, I don't sit there and worry and fret that it's never going to show up. That's true. Now, you well, know, if 45 minutes goes by, then I start worrying and fretting. <laughs> we start making jokes about, you know, what are they doing? Are they still trying to track down the cow? I mean, what's going on here? <laughs> but, you know, it's like when I put a stamp on an envelope and throw it in a mailbox somewhere. It's like I don't worry that it's never going to get there. Now, mm-hmm. hey, you know, if the person calls me a week later and say, <laughs> yeah, I might worry. But there is that time period, and that's the faith. It's like, oh, good, I mailed it. It's done. Mm. No, it's on it's it's on its way. He says Easter, the day of resurrection, falls on the first Sunday after the full moon in Aries. The mystical reason for this is simple. A defined area will not precipitate itself in the form of rain until this area reaches the point of saturation, just so the state in which you dwell will not express itself until the whole is permeated with the consciousness that it is so, it is finished. I have no idea what he's talking about, the rain, but maybe you do. <laughs> Let's see, where does the rain fit in? That's a good I'm question. Not sure. there, there is, he may actually address it in the next part of it. Okay, but. Let, let's go forward. He says, your defined objective is the imaginary state, just as the equator is the imaginary line across which the sun must pass to mark the beginning of spring. This state, like the moon, has no light or life of itself, but will reflect the light of consciousness or the sun. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. As Easter is determined by the full moon in Aries, so too is the resurrection of your conscious claim determined by the full consciousness of your claim, by actually living as this new conception. Um, I will say that, if you're just listening, is that a little ways back in the book, we had a chapter about Easter. Mm-hmm. And Neville got into all of these astrological points and things. So going back to that may make this easier to understand. We won't do that now, but just saying he does have a method to his madness. He does. He says, most men fail to resurrect their objectives. Now, remember a little earlier, he said the resurrection. That was the thing manifesting. That was the thing coming to life, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is. So he says most men fail to resurrect their objectives because they fail to remain faithful to their newly defined state until this fullness is attained. And we see this so often. Someone gets a clearly defined, you know, thing that they want. They have the desire. They know what it is. They start doing the work for it. They start holding the vision. They start walking in the feeling of the thing already happening. And then this time goes by and they say this stuff doesn't work. Mm. Yep. So they failed to remain faithful to their newly defined state. Yes. The state of what? The state of somebody who's the person that already is that thing. The person that already has attained that fullness. Um, he says, if man would bear in mind the fact that there can be no Easter or day of resurrection until after the full moon, he would realize that the state into which he has consciously passed will be expressed or resurrected only after he has remained within the state of being his defined objective. Now, remained for how long? I don't know, but mm. you got to remain there. Keep going. Until his whole self thrills with the feeling of actually being his conscious claim. In consciously living in this state of being it, and only in this way will man ever resurrect or realize his desire. So while that last section doesn't act, actively use the metaphor of rain, it does seems like seem like he has explained it here, at least to some degree. And it, he, he actually kind of clarifies he, it a bit. I see he, it now because he's talking yeah. about the point of saturation, right? right? Exactly. And that point of saturation is the point of manifestation. That's the equivalent. So yeah. uh, when he says a defined area will not precipitate itself in the form of rain, until this area reaches the point of saturation, what he's saying is you got to stay in that consciousness. You got to stay in that conscious state that you've created for however long it takes. How long yeah. it's going to be? Like you said, you don't know how long it's going to be. You just stay there. You just yeah. stay, stay there, stay there, stay there. And you know, it's interesting because we know that if we get into that state of knowing that we are that, I am that, right? We've been talking about this for 26 chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and we stay there, 
that eventually we'll be so saturated. I mean, I like that word. Mm-hmm. That, that energy that the thing will have to happen, whatever it is. Tying back to the word claim, that's claiming. Yeah. You, you don't claim and then abandon the claim. Right. Right. I mean, you right. use the analogy of putting a letter into the mailbox and not worrying about it. Right. You know? but, but we could easily make it uh, a baggage claim. You know, you're at the airport, you've, you've uh, flown from one city to the next, you go to the baggage claim, and you, you, you put a claim in on your, your, your suitcase. Now, many people could tell stories about the lost suitcase and so forth, but <laughs> there are very few of them who will tell the story in a way that says, well, I just gave up on the suitcase. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't there. I waited a half an hour. Psh. So I just abandoned it forever. <laughs> no, no, they, they'll they'll keep after it until that suitcase shows. And there's a reason why. It's because that thing is important to us. That's right. Right. So yeah. so, so is the thing that, that we, is the thing that we say we want. How is it? How important is it? How is it? Well, it's got to be important enough for us to hold that new conscious state that we've been holding. I like when I'm when I'm coaching someone. I sometimes ask this question. When they say they want a certain thing, okay, on a scale of one to ten, how committed are you to bringing this to pass? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had people say to me before, oh, I guess I'm about a five. Yeah, let's not worry about that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll tell you something parenthetically here. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, doesn't tie directly in, but it, it ties in indirectly. Um, Tuesdays. Bill G and Alex King and I have been talking about this this um, modality that Bill engages in called SRT, called right. SRT Spirit Response Therapy. Uses a pendulum and all that. And I've actually been experimenting with a pendulum and and learning how to interact with it and so forth. One of the things that I've I've pulled that I've taken away from it is this notion of staying focused and. Staying focused, and this is the part that's hard to explain, staying focused by not trying to stay focused. <laughs> um, with, with the pendulum, I've been, I've been doing some experiments, and one of the experiments I've, I've done is I've, I've used a chart that's basically a chart of all these wonderful possibilities, and I ask the chart, which one should I be focusing on? And I'll let the pendulum show me. In other words, I'm not committed to it has to be item three. Right. I'm saying I'm open to what's coming here. Show right. me what it is. I'm going to maintain my belief that it's coming, but I'm going to let, leave it up to you, universe, or you, you inner being, or you, God, or whatever you want to call it. Right. I'm going to leave it up to you to tell me what's the next thing coming. And when you do it that way, now it's a lot easier to maintain that consciousness. Now it's a lot, a lot easier to maintain that, that new conscious state started from a point of joy and maintained right through to the point where whatever X is shows up. I like it. Uh, and I was I was looking around because there was a pendulum somewhere around here that I was going to show you, but I oh okay. It, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I I have been enjoying working. Uh, do, I, when, when Bill brought this th- whole thing up with the pendulum and SRT and so forth, um, I was a little skeptical, and then I, I bought a pendulum just to play with it and just to see what would happen. And I, I found not only to my delight that I could get very very consistent results out of it, uh-huh. but I realized that a request that I had put out about a year ago, had finally come true. I had put out the request. I wanted to have a very consistent way to be able to converse with my inner being. And I never found a really consistent way where I always knew, well, this is my inner being saying yes. This is my inner being saying no. This is my inner being saying X. I, I, I had not found that yet. Right. But with the pendulum, I found it. Hi. Because I was consistently getting yeses when I should be getting yeses and noes when I should be getting noes. I thought, cool, I finally... I mean, it's not a full conversation yet, but at least I got the yeses and noes down. Excellent. Congratulations. Yeah. 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 So when you're, when you're talking about <laughs> maintaining that conscious state, like that to me, that, for me, that's a great way to, to, to learn that conscious state. Cause when, you know, when I'm getting that, that really good connection with the inner Walt, as I like to call it, <laughs> then, then it, it feels like I can stay there. It doesn't feel like anymore, oh, this is a waste of time. It doesn't feel well, anymore like, like this isn't going to happen. And now it's like, oh, yeah, I can stick with this. I don't have to worry about the result hasn't gotten here. I've got a connection going on here. And also, you know, there's – you automatically open your awareness when you're doing that, right? You can't just, like – I mean, right. you have to be aware. So it's, like, Absolutely. it's a nice exercise for that, too. Yeah. 
So guess what? We have only one chapter left. I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> We're going to finish this book today. It's a short chapter, too, so we have no I, excuse. I think we can do it. And when I read the title, the title is A Formula for Victory. I like that. I thought, okay, let's let's just dive in. I think we can do it. Let's see how this book winds up. So Neville starts, as usual, with a verse from the Jewish Bible. It says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have I given unto you, Joshua 1.3. It says the majority of people are familiar with the story of Joshua capturing the city of Jericho. What they do not know is that this story is the perfect formula for victory under any circumstances and against all odds. It's recorded that Joshua was armed only with the knowledge that every place that the sole of his foot should tread upon would be given to him that he desired to capture or tread upon the city of Jericho, but found the walls separating him from the city impassable. It seemed physically impossible for Joshua to get beyond these massive walls and stand upon the city of Jericho. Yet he was driven by the knowledge of the promise that regardless of the barriers and obstacles separating him from his desires, if he could but stand upon the city, it would be given to him. The book of Joshua further records that instead of fighting this giant problem of the wall, Joshua employed the services of the harlot, Rahab, and sent her as a spy into the city. As Rahab entered her house, which stood in the midst of the city, Joshua, who was securely barred by the impassable walls of Jericho, blew on his trumpet seven times. At the seventh blast, the walls crumbled, and Joshua entered the city victoriously. To the uninitiated, this story is senseless. To the one who sees it as a psychological drama, rather than as a historical record, it's most revealing. If we would follow the example of Joshua, our victory would be similarly simple. Joshua symbolizes to you, the reader, your present state. The city of Jericho symbolizes your desire or defined objective. The walls of Jericho symbolize the obstacles between you and the realization of your objectives. The foot symbolizes the understanding. Placing the sole of the foot upon a definite place indicates fixing a definite psychological state. Rahab, the spy, is your ability to travel secretly or psychologically to any place in space. Consciousness knows no frontier. No one can stop you from dwelling psychologically at any point or in any state, in time, or space. Regardless of the physical barriers separating you from your objective, you can, without effort or help of anyone, annihilate time, space, and barriers. Thus, you can dwell psychologically in the desired state. So although you may not be able to tread your physically upon a state or city, you can always tread psychologically upon any desired state. By treading psychologically, I mean that you can now, this moment, close your eyes, and after visualizing or imagining a place or state other than your present one, actually feel that you are now in such a place or state. You can feel this condition to be so real that upon opening your eyes, you're amazed to find that you're not physically there. <laughs> a harlot, as you know, gives to all men that which they ask of her. Rahab, the harlot, symbolizes your infinite capacity to psychologically assume any desirable state without questioning whether or not you are physically or morally fit to do so. <laughs> That's funny. You can today capture the modern city of Jericho or your defined objective if you will psychologically reenact this story of Joshua. But to capture the city and realize your desires, you must carefully follow the formula of victory as laid down in this book of Joshua. This is the application of this victorious formula as a modern mystic reveals it today. Of course, we know the modern mystic is Neville. Mm -hmm. First, Define your objective, not the manner of obtaining it. Love that, right? Yes. So to figure out what you want, not how you're going to get it, just exactly. what it is. 
Um, but your objective, pure and simple, know exactly what it is you desire so you have a clear mental picture of it. Secondly, take your attention away from the obstacles which separate you from your objective and place your thought on the objective itself. So this is the pivot, right? Take your attention away from the lack, away from the things that are getting in the way, away from the obstacles, and place your thought on the objective. Focus on what you want, not on what's keeping you from it. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, close your eyes. Feel that you are already in the city or state that you would capture. Remain within this psychological state until you get a conscious reaction of complete satisfaction in this victory. And then by simply opening your eyes, return to your former conscious state. This secret journey into the desired state with its subsequent psychological reaction of complete satisfaction is all that's necessary to bring about a total victory. This victorious psychical state will embody itself despite all opposition. It has the plan and power of self-expression. From this point forward, follow the example of Joshua, who after psychologically dwelling in the desired state until he received a complete conscious reaction of victory, did nothing more to bring about this victory than to blow seven times on his trumpet. The seventh blast symbolizes the seventh day, a time of stillness or rest, the interval between the subjective and objective states, a period of pregnancy or joyful expectancy. This stillness is not the stillness of the body, but rather the stillness of the mind, a perfect passivity, which is not indolence, but a living stillness born of trust in this immutable law of consciousness. Those not familiar with this law or formula for victory in attempting to still their minds succeed only in acquiring a quiet tension, which is nothing more than compressed anxiety. But you who know this law will find that after capturing the psychological state, which would be yours if you were already victoriously and actually entrenched in that city, will move forward towards the physical realization of your desires. You will do this without doubt or fear in a state of mind fixed in the knowledge of a prearranged victory. You will not be afraid of the enemy because the outcome has been determined by the psychological state that preceded the physical offensive, and all the forces of heaven and earth cannot stop the victorious fulfillment of that state. Stand still in the psychological state defined as your objective until you feel the thrill of victory, and then with confidence born of the knowledge of this law, watch the physical realization of your objective. Set yourself, stand still, and watch the salvation of the law with you. And that's the end of the book. Interesting way to bring the book to a close by focusing on stillness. (laughs) I love that it's the stillness that produces the thrill of knowing that, you know, he he talks about a response, right? Um, So you have the response, Mm -hmm. or I think he might call it a reaction. Um, but it's the the reaction of knowing that it's going to come to pass. Let's and see. I don't I don't remember if Neville has talked about a three step method before. He might have, but he does here. And so yeah. I just noted that because so many people, you know, Abraham, many many people have talked about three step methods for manifesting stuff. Right. I want to go over it again. First, define your objective, not the manner of it, obtaining it, but your objective, pure and simple. And know exactly that it is your desire so that you have a clear mental picture of it. So that's first. Secondly, take your attention away from the obstacles which separate you from your objective and place your thought on the objective itself. So that's a little bit different from what some of the other three-step processes are. But it's a good point, taking your, your attention away from the obstacles. That's taking your attention away from what you don't want. Well, it's definitely the pivot. It's the pivot. It truly is. Yeah. And then thirdly, close your eyes and feel that you are already in the state, in the city or state, in the city or state, I like that, that you would, that you would capture, remain within the psychological state until you get a conscious reaction of complete satisfaction in this victory. That, I mean, that's the Neville three-step process, I think. And I've, I've often wondered, what is it? Well, there it is, right there. That's it. You know, the only thing that was missing is his phrase that you've often referenced, assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled. He says it here as close your eyes and feel that you are already in that city or state that you would, that you could capture. Same concept. 
Yeah, and knowing that it's the first book, he might not have brought that in yet. Yeah, I may not have formed that, that, that wording yet. That's yeah. true. But I'm still caught by the fact that this is all about stillness. I mean, that's, today we would call that a meditative state. Yeah. You know, just stilling the mind, calming yes. everything down, you know, step by step, bringing it to the point where the mind is, is less and less off and going off on tangents, and you just gently pull it back and so forth until finally you get to the point where it's just stillness, just total stillness. And and note that he says here in, in the third step where he's talking about that, he says, you know, that he wants you to remain in that state until you get a conscious reaction of complete satisfaction in the victory. Yes. And I think that that is probably the place that a lot of us don't get to because we're not willing to remain in that state until we feel that complete satisfaction because we're all busy and we, you know, we're not willing to spend the time being quiet and still and, and kind of waiting for that sign, if you will, of feeling the victory of it. Well, I'll tell you another little story that kind of ties into that. Um, because I mentioned how I've been playing with the pendulum and I made, I don't know if I told you this. I don't think I did. I, I told Bill G about this, but I made a chart. That's the Abraham Hicks Emotional Guidance Scale. Oh, wow. <laughs> so everything from, from depression all the way up to joy, happiness, and right? clarity and so forth. And I've been using that as a way not to try to achieve a state, but simply I've been using it as a way to check, okay, where am I? Tell me, Pendulum, where I am on this scale. And the, the story that I want to render is that there have been at least two or three occasions now where it has told me I'm at the highest level. And I didn't know it. I wasn't feeling bad or anything like that, but right. I had not deliberately um, mentioned in my own conscious state that I'm feeling joyful right now. So I, 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 in a sense, this is kind of what we call being disconnected from it. In a sense, I was just not connected to the fact that I was feeling so good. But so when, when, did you, did you recognize it after? Did you become aware yes. of like, it was like, that's true. And I'm just not even recognizing it. Yeah. And then as, and that's the, the rest of the story, because as I did that, first of all, um, I, I kind of left a piece of the story out. I had also instructed my inner being to use the pendulum to tell me how intense the feeling was of whatever state I was in and right. to show the intensity by swinging further in a longer arc. And as I was realizing that the arc kept getting bigger and bigger <laughs> and bigger and bigger. So it was a definite, you know, there, there was a coordination. Going <laughs> yeah, right. What I was exploring and what I was feeling and what the pendulum was showing me. And as that happened, I felt something that surprised me. I felt joy welling up within me. Oh, and wow. I didn't expect that. But it was really, cool. really cool. Basically, I was, this is what we call reconnecting. I was reconnecting to my joy right in a moment. Well, and it's really interesting because what you're telling me says that we can be so, like, disconnected or unaware of what's going on within our own selves that we're not even appreciating it or, or recognizing it. And as you recognize it, it welled up within you and you exactly. became more and more aware of it. That's really cool. It is cool. That was my reaction. How cool is this? I mean, at first I was thinking that it was the pendulum that was, you know, warming me up, so to speak. I said, no, no, wait a minute. The pendulum is reflecting what's going on inside of my inner being. This is me doing it. <laughs> right. It's you. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Jeffrey now left, Jeffrey left another comment. He says, I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. I'm not sure what the reference is there. I don't know what the chord is, but if you, if you find out, let me know. Yeah. Right. I are both musicians. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's a reference to the, to the biblical David. I'm not sure. Yes. But, yeah. Yeah. But Excellent. thank you this for sharing. Been great. <laughs> yeah, this has been very good. I've enjoyed yeah. it a lot. Next time we're together, I think we'll start a new book if everybody thinks that's a great idea. Well, we've been talking about what you and I talked about it before the show, what that book might be. Um, I'm not sure we should announce it just yet, but I'll announce it through the promo. So I'll invite everybody to pay attention to the notices that we put out there. And I'll remind everybody, if you're not yet a subscriber, please become one because that's yes. how you find out what the next book is. And that's how you follow us along as we go along. And be sure that you're sharing the fact of this, that you're subscribing as well. And uh, feel free to drop in on the live stream, too. 
because uh, most of our listeners are podcast listeners, but you know, we like to have people joining us in the live stream too. So Cindy, thank you for leading us through your faith is your fortune. We oh, you thank much. you for having me. You've been doing great research. I got to tell you, you know, your clarity is wonderful. Tell, oh, tell people again how uh, they can reach Cindy Chavez life coach too. Uh, they can reach me on my website, cindychavez.com, C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z. I would love to hear from you. Reach out. Give me a shout. Say hello. Sounds great. All right. Thank you all once again. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. <laughs>